Hi, welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than the world around us. Um, And I'm Dan Franklin doing another solo podcast this time. In our second week of probably four weeks, who knows if it'll extend more than that, but, but four episodes of talking about marriage. And specifically talking about this because when we think about the the whole concept behind our our podcast title, The Christian Contrast, is that when we walk with Jesus, it leads us to stand out, where we're providing a contrast from the cultural norm. And that is certainly true in the area of marriage. And so for many of us, we're thinking about marriage because we are married, or we're thinking about marriage because we think one day we may be married. So what we're doing in these episodes is just taking four New Testament passages and just verse by verse looking at what they say about marriage and how it provides a contrast. If we really walk with Jesus in our marriages, how it provides a contrast from the way that the world is going to approach marriage. Um, and I really encourage you, uh, listen to this, but then go back and listen to the first episode where I walked through Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. That's really a core passage in the New Testament about marriage, and I'm going to be building off that. Um, and so if, if for the first episode, sort of the, the theme was the idea that marriage is not about us. When, when we get into marriage, there's a bigger thing at stake. We don't invent marriage. We receive marriage as a gift from God. We don't define marriage. God defines marriage, and so we, we come into it as participants in something that he's doing. And at the core, what he's doing is he is showing off the gospel. Um, men represent Christ as the groom willing to die for their bride, and the wives represent the church that's submitting to Jesus and coming alongside and being cared for by their Lord. So there's this great pantomime that we're all a part of. So if that was the subtitle of the first uh episode that we did on marriage. Um, This episode might be subtitled, Marriage Will Bring You Trouble. And it sounds very non-romantic, but that's a theme that the Apostle Paul brings out. And the main part of of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we're going to cover in this episode is going to be verses 32 through 35, but I'm going to give a running start to that, starting um, starting back at verse 25, and I'll also allude to some other things within chapter 7, because it's all a whole. Um, but, But I'll just start into it at verse 25, and then we'll gain some context from that. So verse 25 starts with the words, Now about virgins. Um, which is a funny way for a verse to start. But that's actually a theme. If, if you read through the, the letter of 1 Corinthians, you'll see frequently there's these little breaks where Paul moves on to a new subject and says, now about spiritual gifts, now about the matters of which you wrote to me, now about food sacrificed to idols. And so he's doing that. He's, he's marking a new subject. And when he says, now about virgins, first of all, all of chapter 7 has sort of been about marriage and divorce and singleness and things related to that. So he's moving on within that bigger subject into a specific area. And when he says virgins, he's probably broadly talking to the unmarried, Um, specifically by some things that he says later, maybe to unmarried women. But broadly in this section, he's going to talk about unmarried. And by unmarried, I mean never married, not married and divorced, and then thinking about getting remarried. So these are never married people, which, by the way, gives us an indication that the normal, the, the grid for Paul was, if you're not married, you're a virgin, because you're waiting till marriage. And so even if you're listening to this, and you're like, well, I'm unmarried, and I'm not a virgin, still take this to understand, this is Paul seeing it not as this rare exception that you would save sex for marriage, but as the norm, as just what you would do, as God's good plan. So even if you're looking at yourself and you're like, all right, well, I've already messed up. I've already fallen in that area. Don't treat that as if the the game is all done, as if it doesn't matter what you do. 
look to live purely as you anticipate the possibility of marriage or just the possibility of singleness in your life. Um, so back to the passage, she says, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So he says, all right, Jesus hasn't given a specific command on what the unmarried, what the never married are supposed to do, but I'm going to give you some wisdom as somebody led by the Spirit. And he gives us that wisdom by saying, because of the present crisis, more on that later, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Um, and so he talks about that there, the whole idea of many troubles in this life, that that's what we'll get to in verses 32 through 35, where he explains what those troubles are that you face in marriage. Uh, but, but just to, to, to kind of ground this in the surrounding context, Paul has been talking throughout this whole section in 1 Corinthians 7 um, about a general encouragement to don't be overly eager to change your circumstances and think that that's either going to fix things for your own personal happiness or fix things in terms of putting you in a better position to serve God. In general, he says, remain in the position that you're at. And, and so he says, all right, are, are you committed to one? Are, are you betrothed? And engagement in that culture was much more binding, where it, for a man to break off an engagement really would be leaving the, the woman hung out to dry. So it really was considered, right, that, that would be a big deal. That would almost be like a divorce to break off an engagement. He says, all right, are you committed? Don't look to get out of it. Are you uncommitted? He says, I, I think it's good if, if you don't look for a wife. I think it's good if you don't look for marriage. But right after he says that, he says something that sort of shows an understanding that even though I think singleness is great, marriage is still going to be the norm, where he says, all right, if you get married, you haven't sinned, that this is fine. I'm not telling you you can't do this. He talked about that in the first few verses of this chapter, where he basically says, I, I think it's good just to remain single. I think it's good to not get married, but be because of the desire for sexual intimacy and because of all the immorality around, go ahead and get married. So Paul, a couple times, sort of signals the norm that even though he thinks there's great advantages to the single life, He's, he's acknowledging the norm is still going to be marriage. So that's how he starts off, and then he goes and he explains what he means by this present crisis, because he alluded to that. Um, starting in verse 29, he says, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. So here's what Paul is saying here. When he says the time is short, he's talking about the idea that Jesus will return one day. And, and as you may have heard, it, when you read the biblical authors on this, they were anticipating this could happen any time. But Paul probably, at least at different points in his life, thought, this is probably going to happen during my lifetime. We live with that kind of eager anticipation that the time is short. And even if we're not thinking about Christ's return specifically, we recognize our lives are short. We are spending these earthly lives that, that's just a fraction of the eternity that we'll one day enjoy. And so he's talking about this and saying, don't get overly focused on your temporary circumstances. There's even a point earlier on in the passage where he says, are you a slave? And he says, if you can get free, get free. But if you can't get free, don't be so concerned about that, that you think that you don't have a way to serve God, even within that, to, to, to put it lightly, suboptimal situation. 
So he says, all right, are, are you married? Don't think that a divorce will fix that. Are you single? Don't think that marriage will fix that. Remember that there's a bigger thing at stake. And otherwise, your, your core identity is not whether you're married or single. Now we get into the heat. Now we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about in verses 32 through 35. This is when he defines what he meant by when he said earlier, if you do get married, you'll have troubles. So starting in verse 32, he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. Um, now, in a second, I'll read the rest of it because he speaks the, the same general idea to women also. But here's the basic framework. He says, when you're single, you're not worried about anything except pleasing the Lord. All you're focused on is how you can live day in and day out to use yourself for his glory. He says, but if you have a wife, you're also thinking about pleasing her. He says basically the same thing to women. He says, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. And then he says at the end, as sort of a summary statement, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. And so this gets at the heart of why Paul is such a big fan of singleness. It's because he's looking at singleness and he's saying, this provides you an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. And he says, but if you're married, if you're a married man or if you're a married woman, your, your thoughts and your concerns are divided. You, of course, your, your life is devoted to the Lord and you want to please him, but you've got an extra responsibility here. And I know it can feel very non-romantic to talk about marriage in terms of responsibility, but again, if you go back and you listen to the first episode that, that I did on marriage where we talked through Ephesians chapter 5, that's how Paul lays things out, that, hey, the husband has obligations to his wife, responsibilities. He's not just making up hub husbandry as he goes. He is fulfilling certain things that a husband is meant to do. And the same with the wife. She's just not making this up as she goes or defining what it means to be a wife. There are certain things involved in that. And here he's saying again, all right, all right, if you get married, just recognize there's going to be an extra responsibility that you have that will limit you in what you can do for the Lord and in just what you can do in life in general. And so I, I want to pause before getting into the specifics of what this might look like, just to say, when Paul is talking about this, you know, he, he says, I want you to be free from concern, but if you're a husband, you're, you're concerned with your wife. If you're a wife, you're concerned with your husband. Um, that, that word concern has to do just with sort of preoccupation. Um, so, so it's just a basic idea. You, you're thinking about this. And then when he says, as a husband, you're wanting to please your wife, and as a wife, you're wanting to please your husband, um, the, the general idea of that would be either um, you, as, as a husband, you're looking to get her approval, um, or as a husband, you're just looking to make her happy. And as a wife, the same thing. You're looking to make him happy. You're looking to get his approval. It's just a general idea there that that's how you live. And this is really important. I want to make sure that this is clear. Paul is not looking at that as a bad way to do marriage. What he's not saying is, all right, guys, some women are just really high maintenance. And so if, if you marry a high maintenance woman, your, your thoughts are going to be divided because she's not going to, going to allow you just to focus on the Lord all the time. You're going to be thinking about her. Or, you know, women, some men are just kind of misogynistic and they're going to want you to be concerned about them and trying to please them. And, and so some men are like that. So, so look out for men like that. He's not saying that. 
what Paul is presenting is, this is what marriage is. This is what is involved in marriage. It is fully appropriate if you are a married man, you should be concerned with pleasing your wife. If you are a married woman, you should be concerned with pleasing your husband. So that's the groundwork for this. Um, we can have this idea sometimes, especially because of the, the many freedoms that we have in, in the United States now and the many ways that our lives are sort of set out for us with, with less limitations, fewer limitations than most people have had. We, we tend to have this idea of marriage of this is just adding something to my life, but I shouldn't have to sacrifice anything. And Paul is making really clear, oh, no, when you get married, you sacrifice something. And while Paul here might feel low on marriage, he might feel like, yeah, marriage isn't good because of this, the main thing that he's saying is, if you get married, know what you're getting into and recognize that you're taking on extra responsibilities, and with those responsibilities come obligations and responsibilities. Um, and, and so let, let's talk this through now, because to the married, he says, all right, you're looking to please your spouse. That's part of what's involved in this. Um, let's talk about this as husbands and as wives, because there certainly is some carryover. There are things that we could bring up that would apply both ways, but men and women are different. Being a husband is different than being a wife, so there's different ways that these limitations might play out, and I'll just explore a few of them. So to say, all right, here's the deal. As a husband, because you're concerned with pleasing your wife, that is going to affect your career. Now, now, we'll talk about this with women because often, much more, it affects women's careers, and, and I'll explain why that is and, and why I actually think that that's appropriate. Um, if you are a man and you take on the responsibility of a wife, you cannot be a workaholic. You cannot be at the office all the time. You can't be grinding in your career all the time. Your wife needs you to pay some attention to her needs you to give her attention and affection and needs you to listen to her. And so there's some careers, in particular, there's some careers that are so involved that you might have to rethink either your involvement with it at all, or at the very least, the way that you're conducting yourself in it. Um, if you're in certain high-powered corporate environments, you may end up getting passed over for promotions because there's certain things that you've just communicated, I'm not willing to do that. I'm, I'm not willing to travel that much. I'm not willing to be at the office that much. You've got this other guy, and he's either singled or he neglects his wife or he's divorced, and so he's just here all the time. Every time the boss asks for a volunteer, he's there to do it, and I'm creating boundaries, and I'm given limitations because my family is important, and so I'm going to miss out on some career opportunities. Um, or you might just realize that you're in a career that is very dangerous to marriages for, for a variety of different reasons, and you've got to rethink it. Um, I, I remember when I lived up in Oregon having a friend that started um, to get into the police academy and, and was going to be a police officer, um, and I actually decided not to. He pulled out because he was fairly newly married, and he just decided, I don't think that I can be a good husband and a good family man while doing this. Now, I know police officers who have made it work in their marriages, but the divorce rate is high amongst police officers. And there are certain careers where the divorce rate is high. In fact, I was looking this up earlier, and, and if it, it, this is more just for fun. Um, I was looking up uh, an article that had the 20, um, the 20 careers that have the highest divorce rate. And it was, there was a shocking number of them, probably about half of them, had something to do with working in casinos. So if you're thinking about working in a casino, just take note, high divorce rate. And it was from everybody from the overseers to the you know dealers to the waitresses, all of that. Um, anyway, you might end up in a career where you're like, I, I think I need to, to get away from this just because of the time that it's taken. And I don't have time to, to care for my wife and to pay attention to her and, and to look to please her. 
Um, in the same way, you might end up in a career where, for one reason or another, your wife is uncomfortable with it. Um, uh, let me give an example. Let's say you're a personal trainer at the gym, and you're constantly around women who are fit and looking to work out, and there's maybe touch involved or things like that, and your wife says, I am really uncomfortable with this. Um, now, here's the deal. You might be able to work it through and talk it through and figure out an appropriate way, but you might end up at a point where you have to say, my career is getting in the way of my marriage, and I need to show my wife that I care about her, so I need to figure out a different way to do this. If you take on the responsibility of a wife, that affects the way that you approach your career, and you might need to pull some things back. Um, at the same time, in a, in a very different way, your, your marriage could affect your career because as a man, you could say, well, I don't just get to decide to quit and do something else. Um, it, you, you might, uh, if you're a single guy, you might say, all right, I've been doing this for a while, but I think I'm just going to quit and I'm going to live off ramen for a while and I'm going to see if I can make a go at writing a novel or I'm going to see if I can make a, a, a go at becoming a recording artist or something like that. That's much more difficult to do once you're married. You've got somebody counting on you and eventually you might have children counting on you too. And so there's just a reality. And Paul would say, it's an appropriate reality where, where it's not bad to say, I, I want to try to write a novel or I want to try to you know, become a recording artist. But you've got to recognize, you know, I, I've taken on responsibilities that make this more difficult to do. Um, let me keep going with this because what I want to emphasize here is the limitations are not just limitations from saying you can no longer go out and sleep with other women or something like that. They're limitations of saying there are good things that you're not going to be as free to do. Um, some men get very involved in church activities and they're constantly there, you know, moving around chairs or setting up things or doing Bible studies. Even that can be a sense of saying, all right, you, you don't get to go to everything. You, you've got a wife who's counting on you, who wants you to spend time with her. You don't, just don't get to do all those things. On top of that, there may be dif uh, difficult and dangerous mission trips and you get real excited about it and you say, gosh, I, I, I feel like I, I could go on this trip and it would be really wonderful for the Lord you're going to end up having to think twice about that because you might have a wife that's saying, you know, I, I'm not comfortable. We're counting on you here. You can't put yourself at risk in the same way. And we could look at that and we could say, well, that's not very godly of her, but that's not the case. Paul is saying, no, that's appropriate. She's counting on you. Your interests are divided. And because of that, if you're going to appropriately live as a husband, you're going to have to take on those limitations. Now, as a wife, there's limitations also, and some of them that there's a direct parallel between what a husband does and what a wife does, but in some of them, they're different. So I do recognize when I talk about this stuff to some people listening, the things I'm going to say are just going to sound totally sexist and backward. Um, I can't fix that. I think men and women are different in Scripture. We have different responsibilities. There's different callings. So I'm going to talk about it this way. For some of you, you're going to recognize like, yeah, even though that's not PC, that still is kind of true, and that makes sense. Um, for some of you, this, this might be an opportunity for you to choose to rethink things. Um, and so I'll say this first of all. Um, for women, one example of how your, your marriage may affect your, your limitations is that if you are somebody that anytime a friend calls, you are there with her, you're hanging out with her, you're helping you know, nurse her through breaks, breakups, and you're there for the emergencies, and you're there for the times that she needs to move, or, or all of that. If you're just sort of like, hey, if, if a friend needs me, I'm there, and I'm there with a meal, and I'm there with four hours of time or eight hours of time, if you get married, you're going to have to limit that because you're going to have a husband that's like, hey, I, I'm here too. I want you to actually be around me. 
And there might be household responsibilities that's like, hey, so, well, so this is nice that you're doing all this stuff for other people. But what about us? What about our, our, our home is a master? We've got no food. We're, we're trying to figure this out. You have an extra responsibility. And it's a, an appropriate responsibility. It's appropriate for a husband to be like, well, you know, all right, I, I like your friends, but how about me? By the way, I, I think in marriages in general, um, there's more frequently conflict between the husband and the wife's friends than there are between the wife and the husband's friends. It, it certainly can happen if, if the husband has friends that aren't good. But even if the wife has friends that sort of like, yeah, yeah they're, they're good, they're good ladies, it's, it's all fine. Just the sheer amount of time can be a point of conflict. Um, on top of this also, another thing that wives may end up facing is, as I mentioned with husbands joining every church activity, you could be looking at dozens of church activities, and they could be good things, godly things, but things that you can end up saying, I, I'm doing too much. I, I'm neglecting my husband. I'm neglecting my family. I'm constantly at these things that I could justify, and I, I could say they're good biblically, but my husband expects me to spend time with him and to help out and to partner with him. Um, now, here's a big one. I, I talked about career with men. Career with women is going to be affected by marriage almost 100% of the time. Um, and part of it is just built into the whole idea that most of the time that you're married, you're going to have kids. And if you're going to have kids, it is going to disproportionately impact the wife just by nature of what has to happen for you to have a kid. And so even if you have this mindset that you're like, no, it shouldn't matter, the wife's career, the husband's career, they're, they're just going on kind of parallel tracks and going towards things, and you have no ideological tie to sort of the husband being the, the main provider and the wife taking care of the children, just by the fact that the woman is the one who gets pregnant, that is going to impact your career. Um, in, in fact, a lot of times when people talk about the, the, the so-called wage gap, and I, and I say so-called wage gap because that's, that's not the right way to think about it. It's, it's the earnings gap that really does exist between men and women in our country. It, if you isolate it and try to figure out what's going on, it almost disappears when you just take into account not the difference between men and women, but the difference that happens when a woman becomes a mother. And typically what happens is at the very least, there's maternity leave, which interrupts a career. And often there's a longer gap of just caring for children, at least during early childhood, and then looking to get back into a career. And some people say like, well, well women shouldn't be punished for, for having children. And to me, it's a very strange way to look at things to say, well, it's not being punished. But it is the deal of saying, if you're going to make the choice to prioritize something that I think you should prioritize, to say these kids are so important that we're going to have mom stay home and spend time with them and raise them, and, and at, the, at the very least in the early childhood years, be very present with them, why would we expect that there wouldn't be an impact on the career? If you disappear for four to 10 years, it's going to have an impact on your career. And, and what I want to say beyond this is also just that I think that this is very appropriate. I, I think that we should have more families in our churches where, where whether the, the wife is working at all or working some, the, the husband's career is where things are sort of centered around, and the wife's income is, is supplementary for, for a variety of reasons, one of which is, is that I think that it's not healthy in relationships for women to have a disproportionate burden of the income. And, and I think that there's a lot of problems that happen in marriage when that happens, but also because I think that there's something appropriate for men stepping up to that responsibility. And I think kids really benefit from a lot of attention from parents, but there's something about mom, especially during those early years. 
So if you're looking at this, if you're a woman and, and you're looking at marriage and you're saying, all right, well, I, I want to be married, but I don't feel like it should affect my career. You need to think very seriously about whether or not you should get married because it should affect your career and it will affect your career. Um, and by the way, as a side note, any parents here, if you're a parent of daughters and you've been telling your daughters, hey, don't give up your career for a man, um, I, I want to say stop telling them that. Um, if your daughter does end up getting married, whether or not she ends up totally giving up her career, if she's going into marriage saying, well, I'm certainly not sacrificing my career for my husband and my family, that's a bad setup for marriage. All of us need to go into marriage recognizing that there's nothing that we're holding absolutely, other than Christ, that we're not saying, all right, if, it, if push comes to shove, I may have to give this up. And just because of the way that God has made us, it's going to end up being a situation where women's careers are going to be disproportionately influenced. And if you're a wife and you're like, my, I, my husband really wants kids, but I'm saying no because I know that that will affect my career, man, you, you really need to pause and take a big second look at that. Um, and part of this is because just as men and women, when we think about marriage and what Scripture teaches about marriage, we do not belong to ourselves. Um, in, in fact, just as a note on this, at the very beginning of chapter 7, Paul talks about this in a very intimate way, the idea that we do not belong to ourselves. Um, all the way back in verse 3 uh, of, this, of this chapter, he says, "...the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband." The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Um, and if you're like, what's he talking about? You, you know what he's talking about. He's talking about sex. And as he's talking about this, he's saying, here's the deal. Husband, your body doesn't belong to you. It, it belongs to her. She has rights to your body. And wife, your body doesn't belong to you. He has rights to your body. And, and this is weird, that this is very countercultural here, because even the idea of any possessiveness in marriage, we tend to view as negative. Paul's not looking at it that way. He's saying, no, there's appropriate possessiveness, and there's an appropriateness of us belonging to one another. And that's why the husband that's working crazy hours and the wife that's saying, you need to be home more, she has a point. You belong to her in a special way. And for the wife who's saying, all right, what's his deal? He's very needy, or he, he just wants me in the kitchen, or he just wants me raising kids. No, you belong to one another in a special way. And just as Paul is talking about saying, hey, sexually, don't say, well, well, hey, he doesn't get sex because he didn't sweep up the kitchen, or, I don't know, a, a guy holding out on sex doesn't happen as much, but it, but it could happen. Um, he's saying, no, that's not appropriate. You belong to each other. And that's part of the point of marriage where Paul is saying, here's the deal. If you're going to get into this, recognize what you're getting into. Which, to some degree, we could say, if we're looking at this passage and you're single right now, at the very least, whether you would take this passage and say, I, and say, I should stay single, at the very least, Paul would want you to read this passage and say, while I'm single, I'm going to take advantage of it. Well, man, while I'm single, I'm going to be using myself up at all kinds of different church events and activities and serving there because I don't have anybody that's like, why are you home so late? And, and I'm going to take advantage of that. And I remember doing that. I, I got married pretty young, but I remember doing that during my college years where man, I would just wear myself out being involved in events at, at my college, at my Christian college, and at my church, and at the college group and youth group and all that kind of stuff. And I remember people saying to me like, well, you're young and you're single, so that's why you can do this now. And I didn't recognize it, but, but they were 100% right. I had more energy because I was young, and I didn't have a wife counting on me at that time. 
Those are things that just, uh, first of all, I'd get exhausted if I tried to do them now, but just I couldn't do because of the responsibilities. It wouldn't be appropriate. So if you're single, man, take advantage of it. And here's Paul's assumption. Paul's assumption is not, well, you're staying single because instead of needing to please a spouse, you're pleasing yourself. His assumption is you're staying single because instead of needing to be preoccupied with pleasing a spouse, you are pleasing the Lord fully in your life. So this whole mentality of like, well, I'm going to stay single because I just want to live it up and not be responsible, that is not the biblical vision for singleness. So if you're single, take advantage of it. And if you're married, recognize, embrace that there are these limitations. Don't fight for a marriage where nobody's given anything up. That is not a real marriage. That is not a real thing exist in your marriage in a way that you're recognizing that there are very real and appropriate limitations that you take on, that you look to please your spouse, and that you don't look to take advantage of uh, the—you don't look to try to force the advantage of singleness while you're still living in the responsibility of marriage. Um, Paul's not down on marriage, but he wants to make sure that we know what we're getting into. And when he says you'll have trouble in this life— What he's saying is there's an appropriate sense for men and women within marriage where we're adjusting to each other, where we're saying my life is different and the way that I'm approaching things is different because I've got this wife who I love and who's counting on me or because I've got this husband who I love and who's counting on me. Um, We're going to do at least two more episodes on this subject. I, I won't tell you the passages now. I'll let those be a surprise. But of New Testament passages about marriage, I hope that this is helpful. And honestly, I hope that this is helpful just in the reading of Scripture, looking at it, figuring out what it says. That's what we all want to be doing every day on our own anyway, just reading God's Word and being built up by it. Um, we drop these podcast episodes every two weeks, and so we're going to be back again in two weeks with the next episode in this series. We always invite feedback, so you can go on YouTube and comment on these, or you can just also find them on our website at lbf.church. Thanks so much for taking the time to watch and to listen. I look forward to our next episode, and thanks so much for tuning in to The Christian Contrast.